welcome to Vineyard KC West podcast. For more information, visit us at vineyardkcwest.com. Let's uh, let's dive in. We're going to start we're going to start a new series called People Skills. So it's a relationship builder series, and that's just all that is is basically I just said, hey, this is going to build relationships. Um, that's actually part of our purpose statement is we say we're going to love God, love people, and the way we're going to do that is we're going to help have healthy relationships with, with God, uh, with family, church family, and then also the community. And so <clears throat> we're going to spend four weeks doing this, <clears throat> and the goal is, is that our hearts and our thinking would be changed, and then we'd also have some tools to be able to approach uh, people in our lives. Um, you know, why is the series needed, right? I, I always like to try to think about that because I want to make sure, why is this important? Well, this isn't probably news to you, but people are difficult, right? Uh, including me and including you, right? Uh, is people are, are just difficult. And so, so we need to know how to navigate that. So in the coming weeks, we'll talk about communication, uh, we'll talk about listening, speaking, we'll talk about manners, okay? We'll talk about some things like that. Um, but today, we're going to start by talking about community. So this will give us a context for the arena that we actually live within uh, and actually what's supposed to be. Uh, so to start off, um, you may remember as, as, a, as a child uh, or as a... Um, uh, as a, uh, oh, perfect, thanks, sorry, I left that back there. As a child, or um, give Thomas a hand. Yeah. If, 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 if you're ever, you know, if you ever need, like, to be pumped up, just tell me, and then I'll have you do something, and then we'll have everybody cheer, um, you know, during the service. So, um, but, so, as a child, you may remember, like, you know, where you pick teams, Okay, you've got a game or something happening, or even at work uh, these days, right? Sometimes you pick teams. Well, in there, what's the first thing you do when you pick teams? You get the captains, right? And it will decide who's gonna who's gonna pick the teams. So you, you sit there and you've got the two captains, and they start picking teams. And, and maybe some of us were picked first, right? Depending on what it was and our abilities and relationship with the captains. Maybe some of us were picked kind of middle of the road, and I think that's the highest that I ever got, you know, no matter what it was. I kind of always middle of the road. If I was middle of the road, I was happy. But if you get picked last, right, is it's happening. What's happening inside, like internally, you're trying to keep it cool on the outside, just like, it's okay. I don't even care. I want to be picked last. I like being picked last because I'm going to show all of you guys how great I am, right? But internally, though, you're thinking to yourself, like, and where am I going to be picked? Am I going to be a part of what's happening? It, you know, and what does it say about me if I'm picked last or first or these things? And it, it really comes down to a need that we have for belonging. Uh, we absolutely have this need to belong to something. And it, it, it really, it's not kind of just a want, like, hey, that'd be nice if you belong. But um, emotionally, psychologically, just socially, uh, we need to belong to others, and others need to belong to us. I remember as a, as a like, fifth, sixth grade, like, you know, pretty, pretty awkward time, right? 
Uh, I mean, uh, if you can just get fifth or sixth grade boys to wear deodorant, I mean, it's like, that's a win, you know, to figure that out, you know, or wear the right amount, right? It's just like, what? I put it on. It's like, no, keep, keep going, uh, you know, or it's just like, man, that, that's just way too much. But fifth or sixth grade, so in fifth grade, I had a good friend, and we were friends all the way up to that point. Everybody's transitioning that age. It's like, are you cool? Are you a kid? That kind of stuff. And this friend had this birthday party. I'd always gone to his birthday parties. And fifth grade year, he had the birthday party, and I wasn't invited. You know, and I was part of the crew and everything, and so I, I didn't feel like I belonged. And they, they had this great time. And so I'm like, man, what happened that I'm not a part of this? So sixth grade year came up, and I was kind of like angling. So your birthday's coming up. Boy, whoever would be a part of that would be a really happy person, you know, and made sure to invite him to my birthday and that sort of thing. And so the, the party's coming, right? <clears throat> and he doesn't invite me. So, and I, he tells me he's not going to invite me. So we're, we're on the same baseball team. And so my mom, right, gets wind of this. And no joke, like the fans are here, the team's here. And after the game, she's like, you will invite my son to your party and you will, right? And so, oh, right? And so I, I didn't end up going because, you know, it was kind of a big thing now, kind of embarrassing, right? But I had this thing I wanted to belong. And so, right, you can't force belonging. You can't, like, make it happen. But it's, it's a great need that we have. Um, so here's the deal. Belonging has to do with community. It's a word that's thrown out around a lot, and people like to use it and is a hip word and whatever. But belonging really has to do with community. So the first thing that we need to know is that community is God's idea, okay? So it's absolutely his. Like, nobody else gets the rights on that. It's, it's God's idea. So, and the reason for that is, is that God is a community, okay? So, um, it's not something he created, it's something that he is. So, Genesis 1.26 says this, Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea, in the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So, because God is a community, right, he says, let us. Now, if you are, you know, a good Bible student and you've read the Bible or you're from a Jewish descent, it's like you would know, like in Deuteronomy chapter 6 and other places, like, hear, O Israel, our God is one, right? So it's like, wait a minute, and there's no other God besides him it talks about in Isaiah and Psalms and other places. And it's like, wait a minute, how does it say us? Let us make mankind in our image. Well, God is a plurality, not in the sense that he's many gods, but he's three persons in one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And you say to yourself, well, that's confusing. But we see it all throughout the Bible. We see that he is three persons in one God. And so I think that it's not something that you can kind of put, and I've heard all kinds of explanations about, well, you know, the Trinity is, is this way, and you put it this way, and all I know is, is, is that God is that. He's one God, but he's three persons. So he's this perfect community that takes place, and any attempt to, like, stabilize it and make it, like, totally rational in our brains fails, and you lose the awe and wonder of God, like theology, like the study of God, like if you look at the Trinity and look at it, you go into it and you try to make understanding of it, but as soon as you can put it in your pocket, and so the Trinity, oh, here you go. 
you're not dealing with God anymore. You're dealing with just your ideas about God. So you have to dive into it and think like, wow, God is a community, but he's one God. Be in awe and wonder of that. And then take it a step further and say, he decided that people would be like him and have his likeness, so share his image, but more importantly for our context today, would be in perfect community, right? All throughout scripture, it's beautiful. You see the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit deferring to one another, uh, speaking well of one another, being perfect unity, being perfect community, coming together and doing that. And so people are supposed to be the same way, right? And that's exactly how it is, right? It's exactly how it is all across the earth. No, it's actually not. Um, But first, realize this, is that God was so intentional about it that it would be that way that he decided, he went all throughout creation, in the creation story, uh, it says he did this and then it was good, and then he did this and it was good. But then when he got to this point, there was a certain point where he said it wasn't good. And it was Genesis 1.18. He says, the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. So he created Adam. And you guys, I mean, I love Genesis because it's just so tangible. It puts handles on God for us because like, we, we can kind of grab hold of him and understand. Like it says that God made Adam out of the mud right? I mean, think about when you were a kid or, or, or maybe now or, or your kids and when there's mud, right? What do kids do with mud? It's like they get it all over themselves and, and it's personal and in the mud, they can form something and make something and, and it goes all over the place. So God made Adam out of the dirt, out of the clay, out of the mud, that he was that involved and that personal. He could have just said, bam, but he formed out of something, God's that close. But he looks and he says, you know what? Adam needs somebody. So what did he do? Well, he created woman. And he said, now you, man, will be with woman, okay? And and made it so personal as well. Um, And then uh, he he really kind of created this thing that, that, you know, you guys need to belong. You need to be together. You need each other. And to the point that he says that he took, he, right, he took a rib from the man and, and, and gave it to the woman. And, and again, just so close, so tight. Um, but we, we look at that and we understand that. Like, you guys are tracking with me. Like, right, I understand we're supposed to be at peace. We're supposed to belong. We're supposed to be together. But there's barriers. And there's all sorts of barriers today in different cultures. There's different things that are built into who we are and, and what we do that, that, that mess us up right? Uh, um, we're competitive. We are uh, individuals. We, uh, we, we are self-sufficient. We're, we're defensive. We're prideful. We get offended. All of those things. But let's take it back to its root. And the root of it is the fall. And within this story, Genesis chapter 3, we're going to see the cycle of fear, shame, and hiding. And it's no different than today. Okay, there are certain ramifications about like the depravity of man. In other words, that for all of sin and fall short of the glory of God that we're not going into today. We're looking at one aspect of it, of what it's done to people. Yes, all have sinned, right? We're all in that same category. We all need a savior. We all need help. But this is, I want to look specifically when it comes to the idea of belonging and community. 
So in verse 1, it says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say, You must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, You must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. Okay, so check this out. Right from the get-go, in chapter 1, she's thrown off. Just as he starts the question, did God really say? Because if somebody says to you, like let's say at work or home or whatever, like, and they question, did you hear that right? Are you in right relationship with God? The questioning happens. And what that brings in is fear. It's, it's something that, that, that happens uh, with whatever we do. It creates doubt. It's, it's something that is doubt in our minds. And then when there's doubt, we start to fear. Uh, there's a flood of emotions. What if I'm wrong? If I'm wrong, I'm not safe. And then the way our, our brains work is that there's flight or fight, right? Which is fear. So now this is what's happening within Eve as this happens. And when we fear, what happens is that we actually start to rewrite history. And that's exactly what Eve does. And that's exactly what Satan, the serpent, causes her to do. If you look at it, look at her explanation. The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. Correct. Okay? But God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. She adds history in here. She rewrites history. That's what happens to us when we doubt and we fear, is that we start to change the relationship. She adds to it, and you must not touch it. God never said you don't have to touch it or you can't touch it. He just said, don't eat it. Right? I mean, you ever, you ever had a conversation where somebody comes at you and, and all of a sudden, you know, your fight or flight kicks in and, 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 and you're kind of, uh, you're just kind of thrown off kilter and your, your shoulders are tensing and your, your neck and your, your blood's, you know, pumping and, and you, you start to th- not think clearly. That's why when you're in conversations with family or friends or, or spouses that, and you're kind of like, I'm saying this, and, and this is what happened. And they're saying this, and this is what happened. And you're kind of like, I know I'm right. I know I'm right. And somebody's got to be wrong. Sometimes it could be that you're both wrong because you're both rewriting history because you're fearing. That's what she does here. So, so the enemy's able to get her to do that, right? So Eve now, though, because she's rewritten history, she is now in a different relationship with God. She views God differently because she added to the history. She added to his statements, and so now she views him differently. It's been changed by fear. The facts have been changed. She's written it. Now, here's where shame comes in. You will not certainly die. What is he saying? You believe that? Are you serious? I can't believe that you believe that. Let me tell you what really is going to happen. So the serpent said to the woman, For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. So here's the kick. 
Not only are you believing wrong, you're so silly, you're so gullible. But guess what? God is holding out on you. He's actually holding something from you that could make you better. And so that's the story. And so shame comes in. I doubt, I fear. Now shame comes in. My relationship is different. What do I need? I need to stabilize things here. So I need something solid. I need something tangible that I can touch, that I can feel, that I can eat. And so what Eve does, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate it, right? So lots of blame shifting going on, okay? But here's, here's kind of the thing, is that as we look at this, you guys, um, as you look at it, you're like, wait a minute, why is God far off, right? Because we know that, that God is never far off. He's he's always near. He's always there. But it seems through scripture and through history and then through experience, if you've tried to follow after him, that there's times that it seems that there's distance between him and us. It seems that he's not there. It seems that he's far off. And so for whatever reason, God relationally allows space for us to grow, allows us to be stretched in different ways. But here's the interesting thing. Throughout this scenario, you never see Adam and Eve say to God, hey, God, what do you think? Right? I mean, he was always with them and he's always there. But they didn't ask, like, hey, can you help us out here? So... They even go to the point that it says that now all of a sudden they realize that they were naked and they felt shame. So now the shame is spreading, right? And in chapter 2, they're rewriting things still. In chapter 2, it says that they were naked and they were not ashamed. So what, is, what probably happened is that it says that their eyes were opened and now they're probably pointing things out and, and pointing out flaws and, 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 you know, just that they're different and all sorts of things. And, and they're looking at each other differently and they're probably saying things that they didn't say before. And now it's like, well, we're going to cover up, you know? We're, I mean, I got to cover up. And, and, and there's this thing now that they're, then they say to God, you know, I was hiding because I heard you were naked. And God's like, hey, 
he's basically, if you sum it up what he says, he's basically like, what were you doing that made you feel ashamed? What were you doing that caused you to think you were naked? What were you doing? And he, he's gentle, even though, I mean, like, this is kind of big, the fall of people that just ripples all throughout history. But he says, where are you, number one? He knows where he is. But why does he ask the question? Not so he knows, but he points out, like, you're at the mall over here. Like, where, you're here on the map. And he's pointing out to them to say, oh, we are hiding and we've done something that's causing separation relationally. And then he asks more questions. So, that's the cycle, right? I mean, there's so much here. We, we, we can't go into all of it. But that's the cycle. I experienced this this week, like relationally. So, I had a family member. We're talking on the phone and we're talking about something you know, for something else that's pretty serious. And, and um, this person knows me very well, a family member, but then they say to me, right? Um, and, and I'm like trying to be good because I know that it's, it's a crucial conversation. Like I know that the tension's high, both and things. And, but, th- but they say to me, they say, Cody, you know, you know, oh, that's an answer with this. And what's the deal? And you know, you're very unapproachable. And somebody else in the family, we talked about that too. And so I, like a good man of peace, say, you really want to go right now, right? (laughs) So, you know, that's, at first, I'm like, wait, what do you mean? You know, now I'm thinking back, well, what I could have said was, well, 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 tell me more. What do you mean? Okay. But so no, I went after this person, right? And what I went after them was, is, is like, first of all, I'm like, well, why am I reserved? And, and it came back to that really this had built up over years, and it was fear and shame and hiding this cycle of different things that I ended up saying to them, and this was just the other night, and we talked for an hour and 11 minutes. The text was, you have five minutes to talk, right? <laughs> you ever have those? And it was so good because because we, we cleared the air and we were honest, and, but it was hard. It was hard, and, and I shared, like, well, I'm reserved or not approachable, I think, because, because I don't feel like I can, I'm welcomed into this area of your life, like, and, and I don't feel like you share that openly with me. And so, so I, and, and I kind of, I, I want to, so I feel like I can't go there, so I just keep it vanilla on the surface. And so anyways, long story, it's just like I look back and I'm like, wow, it's just that cycle of just fear and shame and hiding. It's just so prevalent in in all of our relationships in our lives. And it tears away from community, the first community and, and today. So here's what God does, though, right? In the next two verses that we see, it looks pretty bad, right? Things are going pretty bad. But look how God deals with the issue. Is he gives a promise and then he follows through. In verse 14 of chapter 3 of, of Genesis, he says, So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. 
And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. So look at verse 15. This is the promise. We, we probably talk about this half a dozen times a year. I'll, I'll put it in, okay? Because this is so important as far as understanding of worldview, what's happened, what has God done about it? Because you have people in your life that say, well, well, hey, this is all messed up. Why doesn't God do anything about it? Let me tell you. He promised it and he has done it. So this is what he says. And I will put enmity. Remember, he's speaking to the serpent, Satan, right? What did Satan put in? He put fear. He put shame. He put in hiding that was the result of what he did of the doubt of the relationship with God. And it spread then to people. So he'll put enmity between you and the woman. So God was saying that, look, what's happened has worked itself into the DNA of humankind, into this woman. Like everybody that comes afterwards is going to have this same problem of fear, shame, and hiding, and separation, and relational loneliness. But what he says is he will put enmity. So enmity, right? He's going to cut off. He's going to put something in between. But enmity is a person. We'll see, right? It's Jesus Christ. He'll put enemy between you and the woman. So in other words, I'll cut off what's been entered in. And between your offspring and hers. Okay? Now listen, he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. The promise. The promise that God would intervene in time and space. And then you see it all throughout the Old Testament, right? You see this, he chooses a people, and those people are faithful. And then out of that people ultimately comes the one that is enmity, that puts it in between the curse, Satan, and he cuts it off and he brings new life. You know, God always follows through. We, we use words like promise. What's interesting is, is that, is that language-wise, when God speaks... It's not like he's promising. It's just, it just is. I mean, right? Because it, it says he spoke things into existence. And so we look at his promise because we're trying to repair the relationship and we want to know if we can trust. His promises, right? He uses that term. But just God says, and it is. So he said this, and it is. So where's the follow-through? Well, Ephesians chapter 2 verse 13 through 14, and it goes further into the, the whole chapter. Um, we read this last week too. We talked about our vision for this year, talking about being built together for something, built together in what God's doing, okay? So this is the, this is the, the follow-through is really the cross and what he does with people. So we have, I'm going to make you in my image, be like me, not just image, but also be perfect community, that's been messed up. Now God's doing something about it. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once... Hold on a second. Okay. I, I want to say this. Sometimes I think um, we may have questions like, well, why do, we, you know, why do we read so much Scripture? Like at certain times, right? Because here's, here's what you need to know. Okay, this isn't necessarily common knowledge today or remembered as we go about. See, we live in the age of um, like 
tweets and quotes and everything else. And, and you know, all of a sudden, somebody says something and, oh, pastor so-and-so or leader so-and-so or politician so-and-so. And it's like, wow, that's really deep. And we share it and stuff. And then we're deep, right? And, and here's what you need to know. Um, the reason that, that I read Scripture and try to keep us grounded in Scripture is because my words can't change you. Like, anything that I say, like, it, it literally can't change you. It can help you think, or it's the application of things. But the Bible is sharper than a two-edged sword. And it actually divides us and speaks to us and moves in us, and, and it's able to... to to, to convict us of sin, and it's able to lead us to God, and it's, it's able to bring us wisdom and understanding. The Word of God is living. I'm not able to do that. The power to transform your life is in the Scripture, is in the Word, okay? So, so I know I'm digressing a little bit, but it's so important, you guys. It's so important that whenever we do, like typically we'll teach through books of the Bible, or we'll go topical series like this. We will always be grounded in Scripture because that can transform you, okay? My words or some other man or woman's words can't transform you. They can tickle your brain. They can help you think. They can challenge you. But the Word of God is really the thing that transforms you. Like, I got a gym membership, okay? I'm like the rest of the people, middle-aged guys, like, hey, I'm going to go work out, right, with my boys. And we went... And my oldest son is happy because right now he can bench more than me, okay? Just wait, okay? I haven't done it for three years. I'll get you. So, but, but here's the thing, though. My gym membership doesn't do much, right? It's me getting to the gym. Get it? And so the Word of God, getting it in you, that does something. So you have a Bible, get it in you, okay? I digress. Okay. So... Going back to this, right? What's the follow-through? What has God done to take care of this? He promised it, now we go into it. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were from far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Speaking of Gentiles, so unless you're a, you're a Jew, uh, then this is speaking of you, that part. For he himself is our peace who has made the two groups, so Jews and Gentiles, okay, putting all people into one category, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. So in the temple in Jerusalem, there was a dividing wall. You had, you had the Gentile court, and then you had the, you had the women's court, and then you had, okay, now these people can go into this court, and then now you go deeper into here. Now the special people can go here, and it's saying that Jesus got rid of all that dividing wall. Everybody can know God, and not only can everybody know God and worship God and be with Him, but everybody else can also be joined together as one in worship of God. Now, people back then, this was radical. For you and I, well, that's not, it's a religious statement. No, it's not a religious statement. It's actually talking about all the problems that you have. All the stuff on your list that keeps you up at night, and the problems in your family, the problems in my family... This is the answer. This has to do with all of the fear and the shame and the hiding and those things so that we can be one. Verse 15, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations, his purpose was to create in himself, right, the body of Christ. 
create inside of himself. There's no longer a temple or a place that's special, but now everything is centered in Christ. One new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God. How? Through the cross. See, the cross, yes, it has to do with you, but it has to do with all people in making peace, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him too, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Here's the thing. God doesn't mess around, right? Um, like I talked about the gym. Like, here's the thing. Some people are there messing around, right? Like, they're, like what they're doing isn't going to get them to what their goal is. And then there was this one guy, and he had like this crew of people with him. And he's like, he's got the whole dumbbell rack, just picking up the rack. You know, he's just this massive guy, you know. And, 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 um, and he's like, got, you know, the whole thing just, and, you know, sweat's flowing everywhere. I'm just like, man, I want to be like that guy, you know. And uh, he's not messing around. I mean, he, he, it's, just, it's evident, you know. And everybody else is like, whoa, man, you're a little off. But he's like going for it. That's how God is. God doesn't mess around. He's a gentleman and that he doesn't force himself, but he's got this idea that you and I can be transformed people and that those transformed people would transform all of community and all of life. That's what that says. Because if we're a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit in Piper, in Kansas City, as it is in heaven... Wouldn't that be nice? Now, the key verses here, though, are this. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. So, you will not understand the New Testament and what Jesus did unless you understand the idea of the household of God. The household, oikos. It's just not a yogurt, okay? Oikos, household, okay? 20 to 70 people, right? You've got the head of the household. You've got the first son. You've got a, the, 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 all the other people in the household. You've got the friends and relatives. You've got the friends. It's all put in there, and you have this oikos. That is how the church of Jesus Christ spread, and it's still the way that it spreads, is the oikos, is you have, like, you have your public social group, which is like if we go to the Chiefs game, that's public. Thousands upon thousands of people, okay? Now, you get within a local church, no matter the size, you have oikos, which is this social group, right? And it's 20 to 70 people. Within churches, no matter the size, like if somebody says, well, I go to a church and there's 100 people. No, you don't. You go to a, you go to a church that's probably 50 people. What do you mean? 
there's two groups of 50 at that church. I've found that typically within a church as you grow, people, like, their kind of brains like cross wires and stuff when you get more than 50 together in a room. Why? Because you can't really know, and they can't really know you bigger than 50. And so even if you have a church of thousands, you've got a group of 50 and 50 and 50 or 70 or whatever it is. That's how we work socially. So what God has done is he's put people together into these oikoses, these households. Now, what's important about it is that within the New Testament, you have all this stuff that Jesus did, and then there's the coming together into a household. Guess who the first son is? Jesus. And now we are in his household. What does it say here? Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. So as we walk through, God takes a bunch of strangers and he makes them family. Okay? Now listen, there's all kinds of other oikos. This is like you've got like um, Optimist Club and you've got like, you know, gyms, YMCA, or different, you know, uh, you've got the Moose Lodge, and you've got all these different things, right? Those are good. That's great. You've got all these different things that you do. And community happens in those. Life happens. Change, things change in those. But I will tell you, you can take the substance of the kingdom of God in the oikos, God's people, into those places, and you can affect change into those. But unless the local church, the oikos, the household of God, is healthy, and you have relationships and you use people skills, then what happens is, is outside of the community, it never happens. The things aren't changed. So no pressure, people. But this is paramount. Jesus talked about it. He says, hey, he says when, you, when you love one another... People will know you're my disciples, right? But what, you hap what happens when you get a bunch of strangers together, like one person said, it's like porcupines trying to snuggle, right? You get people together. So, but it's so important. You see, like this church, like on Sunday morning, this is like the locker room, or this is like practice. And I don't know why, you guys, but what God does is he uses the relationships within the church to sharpen you, right? There's actually a scripture that says, as one man sharpens another, like, so iron sharpens iron. And so he uses the church, a lot of times as a parable and different things, and he uses the relationships and the people and, and what you bring into it. He uses it to sharpen you so that you now would go live a life out there and affect people and love people and do things. But that's why when you say, well, I follow God, but I just, I don't have a need for church. Listen, it's like, I understand that church isn't like this Sunday morning isn't where it's out. Hey, the meat's on the street. That's out there. Maturity's out there, how I live out there. But here's the deal. Jesus established his church, his oikos, his household. Four things to be worked out for me to learn to love people, for me to learn to forgive people, for me to learn to receive, right? For me to have things worked out. That's what happens in here. And then it goes out and changes the world. So what, what maybe could you and I do with what we talked about today? Number one, take it as a foundation for what we talk about for the next three weeks of this, okay? Take it as like, remember this context, that, that 
there's, a, there's an intent, there's a problem, and then there's something that God did with it, okay? Um, and then the next thing is, recognize the cycle of fear, shame, and hiding in your own life, okay? Just something small for homework. Incredibly difficult, right? I mean, because it sneaks up on you. Like, my, my family member that, that called me out, right? It's like, there was, there was fear, shame, and hiding, right? On both sides. But now all of a sudden it's all in the light. But it's, it's kind of weird because it's like now all of a sudden you're like, okay, what do we do now? Because that was comfortable. We kind of had one way for years of, of dealing with this thing. Now we have to be real. We have to be out there. So recognize the cycle of fear, shame, and hiding in your own life. Um, know this, it affects your relationships. It affects how you show up at work. It affects your, if you are married, it affects your marriage relationship. It affects your relationship with your kids. Um, it, it absolutely affects everything. It affects how you drive on the road, people, okay? It's just like absolutely everything. Now, the next thing is co-create, build community with God and others, okay? The way we do that here is groups, teams, okay? That's formal, okay? But specifically, hey, you want to go to lunch afterwards? Hey, you want to grab coffee this week? Hey, how you doing? Hey, you want to get together? Hey, how can I pray for you? How, right? Building that. Now, because here's the, the thing. The maturity that you want in Christ and the maturity that you want as a person, it's indirect. You don't necessarily get all of that by just saying, I'm going to do this. You get it by interaction with other people. And that's the church. You get to play with these people. This is your playground, is these people that are a part of your local church. And as you interact with them, as you walk with them, it's not about, um, it's not about like these are going to be your best friends. Sometimes that happens, sometimes it doesn't. But it's about the Spirit of Christ in them ministering to you and the Spirit of Christ in you ministering to them. And that's how you grow. You learn to love, you learn to sacrifice. I mean, the, the church is incredibly difficult. Incredibly difficult. It's wonderful, but it's also terribly hard, right? Because, I, you know, I mean, if I do it right, it means I have to bring my real self, right? And if I read correctly, it means that I'm dying to myself, which sounds like terribly romantic and everything, but you're dying, <laughs> death to yourself. John put it this way, like, he must increase, I must decrease, right? And so, and Jesus said, like, the first will be last, and the last will be first, and, you know, if, if someone wants to be the greatest, then they'll be the servant of all, and so, like, that's the definition of our culture as a church and people of who we are. And so work it out in that. Um, you know, specifically, you know, find something within this community here. Like I've got this groups meeting today. Here's the thing. If you're all interested, ask about that. Groups, we're not terribly restrictive about it. It's basically three or more people because two can, you know, definitely not one. Okay, you need at least one, two, one other. But three or more is good. And sometimes we have groups that, they just meet for coffee and they discuss and encourage, okay? 
Um, sometimes there's groups that have Bible, they, they study the Bible. Sometimes people meet, it's a consistent meeting to, to serve. Or sometimes people have groups um, that are going to go through a book together. Or sometimes there's groups that like, hey, we're going to write worship songs. Or uh, you have interests, like, hey, we're going to cook together and talk and encourage each other. So, so there's all of that. Or we're going to have dinner together, right? You ever heard of like dinner for eight, right? You know, this is what we're going to do. We're going to meet at dinner at different people's houses. But all of that creates this environment for building community. And I know, I know it's hard. It's like, dude, I don't have the margin for that. I don't have the time for that. It's just a little investment, and you build over time. Okay? We're going to have the guys come up, and then um, we're going to pray. We're going to worship here. Thanks for listening this week. If you're looking for ways to serve, give, or get connected, please visit vineyardkcwest.com.